Bryn Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan and Johnson & Johnson Vision Tier Science, as well as with support from Cala Pharmaceuticals and Avalino Labs. Welcome back uh, to another special episode of our COVID-19 coverage of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm Dr. Gary Wirtz, um, along with Dr. Blake Williamson. And uh, today we've got a really exciting episode. Uh, we're talking again about surviving and thriving, surviving the storm, uh, supporting your staff, kind of part two. Um, Blake, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest today? I'll tell you what, Gary, I think there a lot of people are going to be very interested uh, in the content today. How do we get through this? What happens when the practice closes? And I can't think of uh, two better uh, people to have on to sort of uh, direct us. Uh, first is uh, Bruce Maller, the founder of uh, BSM Consulting. And I always joke that uh, Bruce got uh, my dad and I through our transition for our buy-in for the practice. So if he can transition us through that, he can transition through anything. Um, and uh, also we have with us Matt Jensen, the uh, CEO of Vance Thompson Vision, um, a very highly regarded practice that many of us look up to for a variety of reasons. So uh, Gary, I thought that we could bring these two on and teach us a little bit of what we need to be doing right now. Lots coming out um, from, from, the, uh, from Washington, D.C. Um, there's a lot of things that are time sensitive that we should be doing to kind of get our practices through this storm. Yeah, and um, before, we, before we start, I also just want to thank all of our supporters, rather, uh, of this podcast. It's great to have support from industry, um, Allergan, uh, Johnson Johnson Vision Tier Science, Avelino Labs, and Cala Pharmaceuticals. We are so grateful for the support to let us do this and uh, connect ophthalmology uh, with industry and other, other partners. So I just want to uh, say thank you, especially to our supporters. Um, Bruce, why don't we just start by having a conversation uh, regarding uh, how this is hitting practices maybe differently, whether they're a large practice, um, a medium-sized practice, or a small practice. Um, I'm sure you're getting a lot of emails and phone calls from various clients in your, in your portfolio. Um, what are you seeing and how is this um, affecting different practices in different ways? Yeah, we, we are, Gary, and there's, an, there's really a number of different factors at play in terms of how uh, the current crisis is impacting practices. Uh, I think for, for starters, I think regardless of size, we would all agree that what we're experiencing is unprecedented. There isn't a handbook or a guidebook or someplace you can go to figure out exactly what to do during a time like this. Uh, but it, you know, if you're a smaller practice, uh, maybe that's you know one to five providers and maybe somewhere between five and maybe, you know, 30 to 40 employees, um, you know, much uh, depends uh, really on um, the practice's ability to sustain or maintain through this time. Uh, and the bottom line, again, regardless of size, is cash and the ability to, do you have sufficient cash on hand uh, in order to cover uh, near-term uh, expenditures? And, 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 if you have a, a larger business, it's just a matter of scale. Uh, you have the exact same issues. You could have two to 500 employees in a large ophthalmic practice with 100 providers, and perhaps you have a greater level of retained earnings in the business because as a larger company, maybe you know, you've been a little bit more conservative, but your smaller to medium-sized practices, Gary, 
you know, they generally distribute 100% of their available cash flow at the end of every fiscal year, at the end of every month, as they pay out uh, monies to the principals. That uh, creates its own set of unique challenges. Uh, but, you know, for now, we're seeing a variety of responses, regardless of size, including uh, smaller practices that have laid off 100% of their uh, staff, uh, or they put all their staff members on furlough. Uh, the medium-sized practices will be more likely to retain maybe a smaller core of people. And if you've got 30 employees, maybe you retain five to eight right now to help you kind of weather the storm, answer the phones, communicate with patients. And again, just as a matter of scale, your larger practices may retain a somewhat larger contingent of staff. You also have to consider the type of practice. You know, were they doing 100% elective procedures? Are they doing certain reimbursable procedures? Are they able to stay open, see patients at all? There's just many, many different factors. But in the end, uh, to me, regardless of practice size, it comes down to the, the really the strength of leadership and the vision of the principals. Do they intend to weather the storm or are they simply trying to, you know, close up shop and be done? And there's, a, again, a variety uh, of, of things that we're hearing from clients. And Matt, you you represent certainly one of those larger practices, and and certainly you guys have vision. Um, you know, earlier in the week, Gary and I talked to Liz Yu and Rob Weinstock just from a physician perspective. You know, kind of what their immediate thoughts were and how they've been moving their organization along over the past week. With you, from sort of a CEO perspective, administrator position, can you kind of walk us through you know what you guys have been doing at Vance Thompson over the past few days? Well. <clears throat> I can, and thanks, Blake. Uh, so at times like this, this is when your principles, your values are tried the most. And one of the things that we have really beat the drum on recently is that your values, if not tested by fire, if they don't exist then, then they're not your values. And so uh, in times of trouble, the values are what we run to. And for us, Advanced Thompson Vision, that means a commitment to work family and painstakingly so. Um, that affects everything that we've done over the past 18 days. Um, you know, first we kind of broke up into some high performance work groups. There's about seven categories that we felt like there was just too much coming at us at once. We needed a couple leaders in each category to be able to dilute all of the information uh, or distill all the, the information that's out there because it's so ubiquitous. Uh, just to give you an example, one, one group was responsible for the health of the finances. One group was responsible for understanding what's coming from the government. We had, you know, three or four team members whose sole responsibility was is to read early drafts of the bill. Way before we got consultants on the line, um, you know, first draft was a couple hundred pages, then it jumps to five or six hundred pages. Now we're in the twelve hundred page range. That that is extremely reassuring uh, to to know those details before. Um, you know, the SBA determines how it's going to be distributed, which is still kind of underway. Third is how does the virus, you know, uh, you know, affect our team uh, when we're closing or only doing urgent care? Um, how does how do our communications work with our team, our patients, and our referring doctor corps who are looking to us really in the region to set the standard for whether or not they're staying open or how they're treating their staff? And then last, um, a lot of opportunity here with telehealth, and, and so. If one person has to run all that, it's just too much. You can't have a sharp edge. And so by breaking up the work, that was really, really helpful. But that is, you know, that is um, super unsexy and not um, inspirational. That's just how we divide the work. 
I think the most important thing we did is we just talked to our team every other day. We send a live video, we record our leaders talking about here's what we've learned so far. Um, we run that list of our updates. We tell them when we're gonna talk to them again. Um, we kind of set up a two week period where they could go negative with their PTO where, cause we don't know what we're doing right now. We don't know exactly how things are gonna land. And we just needed some time to get through to where this, this, the scary part until we could devise a plan. And I think that from the feedback that we get from the team, that's been the most impactful part is just the regular communication. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. We'll talk to you again Wednesday. So Matt, just to unpack that a little bit more, um, you know, you, I think we all sort of saw this coming. I don't know that any of us saw a three month shutdown or a month shutdown or whatever it's going to be. I don't think we saw that necessarily coming. Uh, when we were seeing this happening over in China. And even as it started going into Italy, I think we kind of had a sense of, well, it's not going to really happen here to the extent that it has happened elsewhere. As you have gone through this process with your team, and you're someone that I think we all look to, um, and with your partners and your practice as examples of great culture, what has been the hardest thing and maybe the most unanticipated challenge you guys have faced? And how are you dealing with that? Well, we, uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, people say cult culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, that might be true. Maybe not as true on the front line of a war. Okay. Uh, so these are, uh, you know, not to channel the president too much, but this is wartime kind of mentality here. And, um, and that there is a high willingness to recommend amongst our team might not be the biggest driver of how we make decisions right now. We, we, more than making sure that everybody is super comfortable for the next two months, we need to make sure that we're still in existence in the next two years. And so um, culture is always paramount, but right now um, swimming up from underwater until we get air is primary. So, so there's a lot of, there's a lot, sorry, there's a lot of blocking and tackling going on, real decision-making, um, whereas in the past, maybe softer skills were, were more, um, valued or more uh, at the forefront. Now it's really about getting down to brass tacks and making sure the business is taken care of. Yeah, I'll be really clear about what I mean. What, um, right now we're having a lot of honest conversations. So team, our goal is to land this plane, you know, with as many of you on it still as possible. That means that some of us might need to take a haircut. For sure our leaders will, um, but all of us might need to hold fast. Uh, until we can get through this time and we don't know how long that time things like that where right. normally that might not be well received in a high culture organization but now it's kind of a kind of a bootstraps mentality we're going to do what it takes to get it done and we're not going to vote on it yeah, gary if i can uh, just yeah. reinforce some of those points matt has made uh, we have kind of that strap it on mentality right now and uh, yes there's a time and place for culture strategy and what have you we have all that and I have a lot of currency with team members, and this is the time that I'm spending some of that currency. And we are extraordinarily assertive, extraordinarily decisive, and we are very action-oriented. So the first thing we did very similar to Matt is we formed two core teams. One is our executive leadership team. The second is our operational leadership team. Each of these have very, very discrete responsibilities. I take complete ownership of the financial affairs of the company. So the first thing I did was build a 13 week cash flow forecast, which is really my anchor. That is the tool that I use that guides every decision that I make and those decisions are being made daily. So I work with my bookkeeper very carefully. 
she updates the 13-week forecast each week, each day. So I know cash receipts that are coming in. I know what disbursements are out there. We're carefully managing our cash receipts and our disbursements because right now cash is king. If you don't preserve cash, you're going to go down. So this is where the financing piece comes in. First day, two weeks ago, we just started the process of not only obtaining uh, a line of credit for the company, and we don't necessarily need the money, but we need the money to shore up our balance sheet right now. We need the cash on hand because we don't know the length, you know, how, how long the bridge is, right? We can't see to the other side at the moment. We also activated uh, SBA, so we're well underway with PPP, the uh, Paycheck Protection uh, Program. And uh, we've already completed all the calculations on our maximum loan amount. We know exactly where the money's going to go. But to be honest, we had to make some very aggressive changes early in terms of staff uh, adjustments. So a week ago, Monday, we implemented an initial phase where we laid off 11% of our staff. And this week, we've come back on Monday with an additional program with some additional layoffs, as well as furloughs, both partial uh, furloughs as well as complete furloughs. And we've evaluated every impact on our cash flow. You know, we have certain people under contract that are paid salaries. We're going to be going back and changing out all work agreements. So we're going to be negotiating to modify all the employment terms. If somebody's not comfortable with what we propose, it'll probably lead to a termination. We just don't have a lot of choices right now. So again, reinforcing what Matt is saying, you know, this is where leaders really step up and this is where they earn their keep. But if you don't have the currency and you don't have the culture to begin with, uh, it's going to be a much more difficult transition. So we feel because of that, we get to ask people to make sacrifices, but it starts with the executives. First thing we did is I cut my pay to zero indefinitely. My accounting firm said, don't you want to list that as a, a liability? I said, hell no. I said, that's indefinite. I never intend to get paid back for the salary we're foregoing now. It's just what you do in a time like this. So there's any number of different things, but I think the most important thing is temperament of the leaders, you know, being calm, uh, being clear, being concise, over-communicating. I love what Matt said. You know, we're not quite at every other day, but my operational team is talking every day to team members. We did a town hall this morning on the heels of the changes we had to make yesterday, and it's extraordinarily painful. You spend 40 years building a company and to see in three weeks that eviscerated. Uh, so we, we are just taking, we're just, we're just doing the best we can. And at the same time, that we're preserving integrity here on the BSM side, uh, we are serving our clients to the best of our ability. We have been developing tool after tool after resource after resource. We upload to our resource page on the BSM Consulting website. We make all this available for free to our members because and, and our clients, that's just what you do. And, uh, and so uh, I, just one last comment. I heard a comment that Mark Cuban made on, on, uh, on TV the other day, which had to do with what actions leaders take today will define their brands for the next 25 years. And I, and I truly believe that. And uh, it's something which to me, it, it resonates with me and uh, uh, we're just getting things done. We just get crap done every day. That's what we do. You know, it's interesting, Gary, you know, we're, we're, we're hearing Bruce and, you know, it's, it, it sounds very similar to what we're doing in our practices, right? And I think that, and in, in, he's not running a health practice, he's running a consulting firm, but I think that highlights that we're all in this together, right? So whether you're a healthcare agency, whether you're, you're, you're a business, a business is a business, and we're doing a lot of those same steps. 
Um, Bruce, um, you know, one thing that Matt brought up was uh, this act, this CARES Act that came through. Um, and uh, being you run a consultant firm, I imagine that you have been fielding hundreds and hundreds of questions about it. Can you briefly run through for all the people on this call, just some of the highlights, you know, PPP versus disaster loan and, and furlough versus layoff. Can you kind of hit some of the hit some of the high notes for us, for us with that? Yep. First of all, PPP is a different program from the economic disaster recovery loan that the SBA has had in place for years. So you just need to separate the two. Everyone that's listening in today, everyone who's listening in today should be aggressively pursuing PPP today. Uh, the reality is that SBA, the government is now authorizing the lenders to deal directly with small business to secure their uh, paycheck protection loan. Uh, the maximum loan amount authorized, so first of all, is $350 billion has been appropriated uh, to support small business. So get in line and get in line fast because you don't know if they're gonna expand the number. My guess is in phase four, they will be on 350 billion, but I don't wanna be sitting on the sidelines. So you've gotta activate the process now and the feds have authorized lenders, both qualified lenders and other lenders uh, to um, work directly uh, with small business. Small business now can apply for a loan. The maximum amount of the loan is the lesser of 10 million or two and a half times your average payroll costs. And to make it simple, let's just say over 2019. So you calculate your average monthly payroll costs for 2019. The, uh, small, uh, the uh, US Chamber of Commerce has a, you can go online, find their little write-up. They have a little calculator there. You can do the math yourself. It doesn't take long to do. And your maximum loan is two and a half times the average monthly payroll cost as defined in the calendar 2019 or 12 months ending 228 or 331. I can't remember how that works. But it's not going to change very much because you didn't start laying people off until perhaps more recently or furloughing employees. So you, you let's say that number is $100,000 a month. That was your average monthly payroll. Uh, you just take two and a half times that, your maximum loan amount would be $250,000. You can then use those loan proceeds. Uh, once you receive the cash, it's pretty much fungible. But remember what the government's trying to do. They're trying to encourage you to retain people or rehire people you have let go. So they've added a loan forgiveness provision to the PPP. The loan provision, uh, the loan forgiveness provision, uh, the amount of loan that you've borrowed now, go back to the 250K example, uh, the amount of that loan that gets forgiven is a function of costs that you incur between the date you get the loan and the next eight weeks. So if you get the loan next Wednesday, whatever date that is, measure forward eight weeks. Whatever expenses you have incurred for payroll costs as defined within the context of the maximum loan amount, use the same definition, plus uh, rent, utilities, and other debt service related expenditures, you total all that up, and assuming you kept the same number of people you had before, you're going to get a forgiveness of that loan come June 30. So now the feds are going to issue regulations on the details of how the loan forgiveness works, but it's essentially free money. There's no personal guarantees. There's no fees involved. There's no collateral requirements. And best yet, you don't have to give them any financial statements. Literally, you sign a good faith certification that you were in business on February 15 of 20, and that you employed people on that date, and that you're gonna use the money for the right purposes. 
you sign the good faith certification, and then the lender turns around literally within 48 to 72 hours, that loan should get approved and funded. So I've talked to B of A and, and uh, Chase Bank today, two of the largest uh, qualified lenders under SBA, and they have, it's taken them a day or two, Blake, to get the, all the information coming back from the SBA. As of about two hours ago, B of A said, we got what we need. We're opening up our own portal, Bruce. You're gonna go online, and we will make sure you get online like right away and uh, just be ready. So have your computation of your maximum loan amount ready. In other words, do get out your payroll tax returns, do the math. But remember, when you are calculating the payroll costs, uh, any employee, doctor, owner, doesn't matter, any employee whose comp is above 100K, you can only count up to the first 100K of comp. So for me, it's the first thing we're doing, Blake, and we're coupling that with a line of credit, but that to me is the, the, the best possible alternative. And it ties into your question about furlough and layoff, but I'll just pause in, in case you have follow-up questions on PPP. Bruce, I'm just gonna mention one thing because it's coming up on the chats. <clears throat> a lot of people are saying, how can we possibly apply now when it's not gonna be ready, you know, till the end of the week, the SBA parameters? The banks and the SBA are meeting daily is what we're learning. And um, they're building their own portals, like you mentioned. We have all of our detail already into our bank in the form of having completely filled out 7A applications for now. Knowing there that you go. whatever portal they have that's ready, they can just dump it right in and we're right at the front of the line. So if you're looking for something to do today, go to those guidelines that Bruce mentioned yesterday and today and get them ready so you're ready to rock and roll. Exactly, so, because they're gonna take them in order. They're gonna take them in order in which they've received them. Right. And, uh, you know, money is going to get money is going to dry up fast on this because there's so many small businesses out there. The 350 billion is going to be woefully inadequate to cover this. So uh, there'll be more money coming in behind this in the phase four uh, component of this. But get out in front of this now. And by while you're doing that, uh, I'm working alongside or with B of A right now, and they're just preparing at the same time they're getting all of our financial information, which is not needed for PPP, but it is needed for another credit facility that we're gonna have on hold. They're waiving fees, they're doing, for good customers, uh, you can do this. And your, your, most of the people on this call have good banking relationships. And if they haven't had good banking relationships, there's no better time than right now to go, you know, just get on the phone with them because you're not meeting with them in person. But uh, this is where you may decide you want to switch banks. If your bank's not on the phone with you helping you out right now, maybe some other bank will. So don't be shy about using this as an opportunity to find a bank that will actually work with you during these periods of time. So we've got a number of questions and, and as they're coming, they're almost coming in faster than we can answer them. So maybe we can just take a pause here and, and, um, and go through some questions. Uh, Netta Shami, good, great friend uh, from LA, just uh, wrote in, given that we have laid off staff and are not seeing patients, what if after getting the SBA loan, we're unable to get up and running to match our pre-crisis payroll costs? Do the eight weeks start from the day the loan is approved or the day we start drawing from the loan? Yeah, the, the eight weeks for computation purposes of loan forgiveness, but I wanna, again, caution everyone don't let the loan forgiveness opportunity dissuade you from aggressively pursuing this loan. Because even if there was no loan forgiveness, you have the ability to pay this loan out over time at a very low rate of interest with no upfront fees, no collateral, no recourse, and no prepayment penalties. 
and deferment. And, you have, and deferment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Deferment for up to a year on initial payments. So for Netta, you know, even if you have laid people off, you know, this gives you an opportunity. Maybe if you want to bring them back, that's what the government wants you to do. And they're basically, if you incur costs by virtue of hiring, rehiring people, they're going to give you forgiveness for that. So that's why there are a lot of people right now saying, you know, I laid folks off three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whenever, or I furloughed workers. But given this kind of free opportunity, uh, why not take full advantage of that? Because it comes back to where you started, Gary, which is culture. You know, being able to wrap and embrace the people that you that have been so loyal to you, you want to do everything in your power to preserve the integrity of your team. And so that's why I think the loan forgiveness gives us that option to do so. And I'll well, have to, add, to add something to that, Bruce, I think that one of the things that's important is there's a, you know, you can define it, there's a grace period for some of those things. We found early on when we were feeling that there were some tremors in the market, some of our team uh, were scared and started looking into and filing for unemployment, feeling like they were waiting for the hammer to come. Well, in effect, what that looks like to the employer is that they quit. Okay, and, and by filing for unemployment, it naturally you know, takes them out of being able to benefit from these federal programs. And so we wanted to make sure that we educated them about, listen, hold fast. Some of this detail is still coming out, but there's a grace period if they have filed for some of those things to be able to roll back from it, um, to benefit from these things on the other side. But there will be a lot of things to, to you know, un, unravel from the twine ball. Yeah, and it will take the government, uh, Matt, at least three to four weeks to issue regulations on the loan forgiveness aspect of the act. So that's why I'm telling people, just get the damn loan. Don't worry about loan forgiveness. It's gonna be there for you. Do the right thing for the business. So if it means hiring back some key people, because the way the loan forgiveness calculation works is the government, again, they're trying to encourage you to keep the people on your staff or rehire those that you have furloughed or you have laid off. So they're going to basically, um, they have a, a provision that says, we're going to reduce the amount of the loan forgiveness to the extent that you don't bring people back. So if you only have two people working for you today and you had 10 people before the storm hit, you're going to have an adjustment to the amount of the loan forgiveness. So now they're giving you a little bit of leeway to start hiring people back. And keep in mind, they get a chance to change the rules and they're going to change the rules in the favor of small business. I'm pretty confident of that. So that's why I want to get aggressive, and that's why you take the time, as Matt said today, to get all the material organized so you're ready to hit the ground. Because I, uh, B of A told us late tomorrow or Thursday morning, they think the portal is going to be open. Great. Um, one thing I'm looking – oh, sorry, Blake, I think you're muted, buddy. Go ahead and unmute yourself. My bad, buddy. I, I, I was going to kind of add to, to Netta's question there, and that's, that's exactly why – we did the furlough option for a large percentage of, of, of our teammates because, you know, we didn't know if we we're going to be up and running early June. Uh, whereas with furlough, that can go all the way into August from what I understand. And it gives you the opportunity to, to bring them back slowly. Just because they're furloughed doesn't mean they have to work zero hours. They can actually work more than that, uh, which I'm sure Bruce can kind of get into as well. But um, so you can do a mixture of furlough and still apply for the loan as well. And we're doing all those things and we're applying for the disaster loan. And to that point, uh, there's several questions in the chat and Q&A about can you get the disaster loan and, and the PPP? Um, and, and what are the dynamics there? Do you have to apply for one than the other? Does one you know, reduce your forgiveness with the other? So talk, walk us through having both of those things. Yeah, so the, the first thing, first things first, get PPP. 
Um, and you may find that with PPP and a line of credit and some retained earnings, you can weather the storm. If you choose to go down the path of the economic disaster recovery loans, it's a more arduous process. Uh, the requirements are different in terms of documentation. Uh, the terms are not as favorable. I'm assuming most people uh, on today's program don't have an existing economic disaster recovery loan already in place. To the extent they might have, maybe they were a hurricane victim or had some other issues in the past, maybe flooding in, in Texas or what have you, they're actually going to allow merging of those older loans into the new PPP program to get some of the benefits. But again, the details of that are not known. But Blake, as I read the law, I have not seen anything in the law that says you can't have both. Uh, they just have different purposes. But you could find in submitting your app for economic disaster recovery, you may not qualify, you know, because of net worth issues or other considerations. So that's why pursuing the PPP aggressively. So we had an app in for economic disaster recovery, and I've told my team to put that on hold while we focus on the uh, PPP and the bank line of credit. And we're getting super favorable terms on the bank line, and the cost of capital is very similar to the economic disaster recovery. So that's what we're doing. But again, it's everyone's got a different attack. I have no problem doing both because you're just trying to hedge all your bets, right? That's what you have to do right now because you need cash. If I may uh, just add a little color to that, Bruce. Um, by the way, it's a pleasure doing this with you because you've been a hero of mine for so long as a consultant mentor. We're trying to keep the team as whole as possible with a combination of the two. Our interpretation of the um, legislation is as follows. Um, you can, there's some, some um, tax forgiveness for the FMLA part from the Family First Act, and then there's some loan forgiveness opportunity from the PPP program. Let me give you a, an employee example. As Bruce mentioned, there's three different ways you can benefit from FMLA during this time according to Family First. Either you're sick, your loved one is sick, and you're caring for them, <clears throat> There's some other little provisions in there, or you're forced to be at home because your um, uh, children are out of daycare or out of school. For practices like ours, that affects a lot of people. And we are recommending those folks use some form of that FMLA during this time, but not for all their time. Some of the provisions have been, some of the parameters have been relaxed to be able to work remotely, do some hours of work, do some hours of FMLA, which normally FMLA is a long few weeks, and if you do any work, it ends, that benefit ends. That has been relaxed according to our understanding of this legislation. So we're purposefully putting a lot of our team members on FMLA three days a week, effectively, and then paying them their regular pay for two days a week, effectively. And when you do the math, that, that, that equates to about 80% of their total comp that can be, um, you know, um, either relieved in taxes or relieved by loan forgiveness. Okay, they can supplement the remaining balance with their own PTO or things like that. So that, that's kind of how we're looking at the model. Gary? Yeah, so, you know, I've, I've looked at the, FM, the extended FMLA guidelines, and it looks like unless the healthcare worker is quarantined themselves or are caring for a family member who's quarantined or has a dependent like a school-aged child who is going to uh, be at home because they're no longer at school, those are sort of the, the buckets that allow someone to qualify. Am I thinking, am I reading that correctly? You are, yeah, go, go ahead, Matt. 
I was just going to say basically, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I assume for your employees that you're putting on the FMLA, they, they fit into one of those buckets, but if they're, I assume that would just basically be maybe staff members who have kids who are going to school and they're able to sort of get coverage on those other days. Is that kind of how you're working that out? So, so basically the way, the way we're doing it is just kind of, as mentioned for those three days of FMLA paid at two thirds time, by the way. So they, in effect for three days, get two days pay. Right. They're encouraged to be home with their family members who, who are required to, you know, be cared for because they're out of school. Gotcha. The other two days are paid at gotcha. regular rates. So that effectively gets us 80%. And, um, and just ahead, add to that, yeah, if I could add to that, two things. Number one, just to put out there, some of the folks on this phone call have less than 50 employees. And there is the opportunity for an exemption from families first. Um, if, to the extent that you can demonstrate that you're that participating in the act um, uh, would create some economic hardship. Uh, the regulations have not been published by the government yet, but they, that is in the Department of Labor FAQ. They call that out and they just advise uh, smaller businesses to uh, write up their reasons why participation don't submit it to DOL. The DOL is going to issue regulations and you may have to defend yourself later. But I also think it's important to point out the tax credits that are available. So to Matt's point, you have the forgiveness provisions under PPP, but you also have the tax credits and reimbursement under the families first, which is a big deal. And that may cover a, a significant percentage of the dollars you otherwise have to pay under the paid leave and uh, paid family emergency program. Bruce, one of the things that, that, that uh, people are talking about on the chat is, you know, they've called their lenders and their lenders say that they're not ready to get in line for PPP yet. Uh, we're saying get in line, get in line. Is that just, is that just market specific or just yeah. Yeah. you have to have a relationship yeah. with a local lender or else you're going to have to wait till next week? Yep. Yeah. Let me tell you a story about a surgeon client of mine went in on Friday because I told him to, to, to just have a conversation with his bank, showed up. The bank knew nothing about the house approving. Uh, uh, of the CARES Act. And uh, so my client educated him on the way it was going to work. And the bank was so impressed. They said, uh, you will be number one on our list. We so appreciate your talking to us. So sometimes you just have to be bold and courageous. And that is absolutely correct what you said. It's so uh, variable by location and uh, institution. I will tell you in the last 48 hours, SBA has been on with the CEOs of B of A, Wells, Chase, all your largest lenders in the country have been on these calls. They have gotten clear directive, clear directive on setting up the portals. So this has all happened in the last 24 hours, Blake. So that's why the, the, the direct communication we're getting today is we think we'll be ready by tomorrow night or Thursday morning. We will text you and we will let you know uh, where things stand. So one, one thing I'd like to get some uh, clarity on, this is just sort of as I've been reading uh, the various bills and the summaries of them, uh, there's a number of good ones out there. It looks like people who make $55,000 or less, if they're furloughed and they're on unemployment insurance, they're basically gonna come out um, either even or ahead from what they were making uh, when they were um, you know, fully employed. Uh, it's really the people who are making more than $55,000 a year or about $25 an hour uh, that are going to not be fully covered by unemployment insurance. And so one of the strategies I'm kind of thinking about is, um, you know, we furloughed a, a number of our, of our folks and, and most of our employees 
um, et cetera, are going to be made whole by that process. We're going to keep on their keep them on their health insurance. They're going to get unemployment insurance, but pro probably keeping the people above that salary level um, on um, you know on payroll, and then use our PPP loan should we get that to uh, reimburse us for that. Um, and and as I assume, based on what I've read, if you hire everyone back by June 30th, there's sort of a magical date of June 30th, the amount that you have contracted your staff between now and then doesn't matter as long as everybody or the majority of everybody is back uh, working full time by June 30th. Bruce, am I thinking about that right? I'm not sure because the way the loan forgiveness, two things on the loan forgiveness side of this. Uh, the computation period, uh, Gary, appears to be eight weeks from the date of your loan origination. So if your loan is activated at uh, 415, then it would be the eight weeks to June 15. So the magic date may not be June 30 the way it's written, number one. Number two, you have to, uh, in the uh, loan forgiveness uh, provision, there is a reduction calculation, a calculation you have to make to determine whether or not you're going to have your loan forgiveness dinged. And there are two aspects of it. One of them, which is relatively easy for most people to calculate, is a full-time equivalent calculation. So you have to take the actual average FTEs over the eight weeks. So if you wait and bring them back later in the period, I'm afraid that's going to work against you because you didn't have that FTE number as high as you want it to be uh, during the eight-week time frame. And so I think you need, and, and I've looked at several different interpretations of that, and sadly, even when you read the law, the law is not intuitive, and the calculations I've seen are not entirely intuitive, but my advice would be, if you're gonna bring people back, you may wanna do it sooner than later, to ensure, again, that you get maximum forgiveness under the PPP. Yeah. Hey, Matt, Matt, let me give you a scenario. Um, you, you have a technician who's making $16 an hour before all this happens. Now they're making $25 an hour um, with the furlough. Um, there's a couple of comments and questions on the chat. You know, what's to make them want to come back? What kind of conversation you know, do you have with that person who's now making, let's, say, let's call it 10 more dollars an hour staying at home why would they want to, to come back? That, that's kind of the gist of some of the, the comments in the, in the chat room. What would you say to that? Yeah, so according to our calculations, when we furlough somebody, um, the reason that they can do better is likely, at least in all of our calculations, because they're part-time. Okay, now, um, so, you know, the definition of furlough for guys who, like me, who need to have everything taken down to the third grade level is that you're basically still employed, but not scheduled. There's no work scheduled, so we're still paying benefits and everything like that for you. So there, we can still terminate that that employee and and have it all, you know, have all the termination process take its course. And in South Dakota, we can do that at you know as a will to work state without you know any kind of warning. So I mean, the the idea is that we are we are all working back towards a, a job and a career of fulfillment uh, once this is done. Now. Yeah, but, but I'm sorry, Matt. I was just going to say the unemployment benefits have a date certain that they're done. So it's not as though it goes on forever. It's a 12-week opportunity for someone. And so, yeah, maybe during that period of time, they're not going to be particularly motivated because of the extra 600 bucks a week that they're get, or up to $600 a week that they're earning from unemployment. 
but that's it's temporal, right? It's going to be gone. And I think for most people, they're anxious to get out of the house. They're anxious to come back to work. They're anxious to coming back and being part of the family. Hence why, again, the focus on culture and team is so critical now. So I view that as, you know, somewhat of a much to do about nothing myself. Uh, I'm not focused on that at all. I'm focused on preservation of team, making sure we're protecting the integrity of our team members. If there's some unintended consequences during the next, you know, call it two to four months, so be it. Question from uh, Una Rappaport. Um, she actually just started a practice and she says, thanks for, thanks for hosting. Is the amount you're eligible for based on 2019 or 2020 payroll? I just started a practice and don't have a lot of data on my expenses yet. So how are they going yep. to calculate this for people who are literally just starting a practice and don't have a lot of historical data to go on? Yeah, the computation period, and Matt may know more than I do on this, uh, but the computation period for new businesses, and first of all, you have to been in business on February 15 of 2020. So I'm going to assume that in this case, the business was open just maybe prior to that time. Sure. So what you do is you calculate your average payroll costs in the quarter, for example, the most recent fiscal quarter. If you don't have a year worth of data, just take the most recent fiscal quarter, you look at your average monthly payroll cost calculated the same way times 2.5 and there's your eligibility for PPP. That's the maximum loan amount you could apply for. Now, it may be not enough in a sense in order to satisfy your needs going forward as a startup business, but keep in mind that um, you, know, you have other potential sources of capital. Uh, this is where to me, if you have a good working relationship with a bank, you could supplement this perhaps with a line of credit, and that would probably be the way to go. But there is protection for startup businesses so long as they were in effect on or before February 15 of 2020. I have a, we have a question from Daryl White who's, who's asking about the CMS. So CMS came out hmm. um, with, um, you know, sort of their – uh, sort of unprecedented, or at least it's been a while uh, since they're going to allow payments um, uh, in advance. And so his question is, uh, should we access the CMS advanced payments? They have an automatic response pay mechanism, as you know, that kicks in right about the time when our full payroll kicks in. So can either of you kind of comment on, on should we be doing that at all? I would do it. Yeah, right now it, it's, a, it's a mad dash for hard cash. <laughs> That's it. It's a pretty easy answer. <laughs> if you don't need it, great. If you don't need the cash that you assemble now, great, but get your balance sheet. Need. And one thing we haven't talked about is even owners putting cash back into their company, whether it's in the form of loans or capital contributions, that is an obvious source of capital right now, in addition to just you know eliminating um, owner-related uh, expenses. So, But I definitely would be availing myself of it. Another question coming in from uh, Netta. Uh, she says, we have a few employees who are afraid to work due to the risk of exposure to COVID, understandably. They're currently furloughed and on unemployment. If we offer them the chance to return, but they decline due to their fear, what then? Do they lose their employment because they declined a job option? Uh, Matt, no. what are your, or Bruce either, what do you think? I just would say no, respect their concerns and uh, if they're a good employee, you're hiring them back. But if they're not ready to come back, just respect that decision. But do they lose their benefit? Would they lose their unemployment benefit? No, 
No, they maintain their unemployment benefit if they're still furloughed. Okay. Uh, team, this is where I'll just answer this one from a lot farther away. Then I'll yield to Bruce on a lot of the detail on, on some of the letters of the law. Um, this is a time where we're looking at our team with a lot of grace and hopefully they're um, reciprocating. So for example, we just went we, for the last two weeks because it was a jump ball of how to know what to do. We offered this negative PTO balance, you know, to, so they could be whole while we were closed. We did the same thing. Yeah, people are freaked out about, well, I've got, you know, I've got plans for Christmas and I have calculated, I have just enough by then. Does it need to be paid back by then? We've just told them, listen, don't worry about, don't worry about that right now. We're just trying to keep everybody whole day to day as much as possible. And I think that to your question, Meta, um, I think that there's just a lot of fear out there and we should be a source of reason and calm for them as much as possible. And, uh, and you know, and then I'll yield to the letter of the law with Bruce. Bruce, there's a question from Ricky Arsenault. He's asking just uh, the difference between furlough and layoff. Can you, can you yeah. uh, go through that real quick? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Ricky, in the case of a furlough, you start with you have an intention to bring the people back. So in essence, uh, they're still on your payroll. Uh, you're still providing benefits to them. And it can be a furlough that is a complete no hours furlough or to Blake's earlier point can be variable. Uh, we have our folks, Blake, just uh, back to your point earlier on kind of a, for now, for the next week, uh, a set hourly uh, number of hours that we're making available uh, to them. Uh, and it could vary by week. Uh, but we wanted to provide people some stability and a schedule that they could count on at least for the next week or two. In the case of a layoff, you know, you're actually letting people go. And, uh, and I'm going to circle back to furlough in a minute because I want to introduce exempt and non-exempt and some of the complications there. A layoff is when basically you're letting someone go. Uh, it could be temporary uh, and you might be suggesting to them that you're going to want to hire them back, but you're not otherwise offering them benefits. So they're literally off your payroll. When you bring them back, they go through a normal rehiring uh, process. Back on the issue of, ex uh, of furloughs, there's, a, there's an important difference between a furlough of non-exempt hourly typically versus exempt. You have to be super careful when furloughing an exempt worker because exempt workers are typically salaried and under uh, the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act, if they work one hour or more for you in a week, it triggers payment of their full salary. I wanna come back to then what do you do with exempt employees? So we actually uh, implemented salary reductions for our exempt employees, but you cannot under the law then say, yeah, but you don't have to work. If I cut your pay 20%, you don't have to work, uh, but four days a week, you actually can't say that. So you have to actually say that this is a salary reduction. Uh, it has to run for a minimum of three months and it has to be communicated as something that's permanent. The fact that you may choose to waive that a month from now or two months from now, uh, that's totally up to you. But just, again, understand the subtleties. If you're furloughing, categorize non-exempt versus exempt, and your labor attorney or practice manager can hopefully guide you on some of the particulars so that you don't unintentionally do something that has a consequence down the road. Yeah, we're using the term inactive staff. We like that term, inactive staff. You're still on the football team. You're just not in the game right now. Uh, and we're going to be putting you in here in a couple of months. Um, 
Matt, question. Um, Will Christian, another friend of all of ours, asks a question, should we be paying our bills? Should we be paying our rent? You know, should I pay my April rent now or wait until I've secured the PPP loan? Uh, should we slow pay our bills? Um, is the loan retroactive for such an expense so we can go back and, and count uh, the, the rent from before? What are your thoughts on that? Well, a couple of things on that. First of all, just to talk about the PPP the, from the CARES Act, um, only 75% of that note needs to be used or has to be used for payroll, right? Now, a lot of people are going to use all of it, but if you can manage, some people can use the remaining 25% for other operational expenses that are very detailed within the guidelines of, of that legislation. Okay, so that means that some operational expense can be used as, as uh, and be forgiven for later on, like rent is one of them, utilities are another one. The other thing that I would consider is, um, and I don't know um, a lot of detail about this, but there's similar um, relaxation happening with property owners where banks are being a little bit more lax on their loan payments as well, you know, that for a period of time, and I'm sure it's a case by case kind of thing, but um, that, that, that their mortgage is going to be, um, you know, forgiven for everything but interest during a time. And then perhaps you can talk to your landlord and see if during this time you can get a similar reciprocal value just for your cash flow time being. I'm going to pivot now to how we talk to our team. One of these video calls that we did with our team at a town hall, which was live, we educated them on how to handle their personal mortgage if they're scared, how to handle their student loan debt right now if they're scared, what forbearance means, what deferment means, and where those uh, most lenders are with those kinds of things right now. And that's a huge value add to people who are scared at home with the major concern being, how am I gonna pay for this house? Fearing for your job and your home at the same time is completely, completely overwhelming. So on the rent category, I, I think that I would just try to learn as much as I can about those expenses. And as far as every other payment, um, our responsibility is to be a good steward. Our electric company is having these same talks. You know, Our vendors in the industry are having these same talks. Um, we have to do our best to be good citizens, not just to our team, but also to our partners in industry. And, and that's not a direct answer, but um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a policy of slow pay. There's some questions about, um, you know, when you do furlough, um, there's a question coming in. Does that mean that you're, we, we love that our employees can keep their benefits, but do they keep the same benefits? Or he's asking, or does that mean they have to go on COBRA for insurance? Uh, he's being told by his Blue Cross representatives that he furloughs an employee, they would go on a, a different COBRA insurance. Yeah, that, that's uh, not been our experience. If you lay someone off, that's when the COBRA is triggered. If you furlough someone, they're still on your payroll. The nuance, Blake, might have to do with who your carrier is, because this now becomes a carrier-specific issue, because when you set up, uh, say, group health insurance in the first place, there's a minimum number of work hours that's typically required for one to be eligible to participate on the plan. In our conversations with United, for example, our carrier, they've been very accommodating to clarify that our folks can stay on for a minimum of 90 days, and we're going to beg them for more if we need to. We don't think we'll have to, um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, it's it's really again important to understand. In the case of furlough, they're still on the payroll, still entitled to benefits. So, for example, we have an HSA plan, and I made it clear to our team that I was not going to reduce, eliminate the HSA. I think right now the health and wellness of our team is paramount. 
So we're keeping everyone on our health insurance plan. No one's transitioning to a new plan through, say, COBRA. We're continuing to fund their HSA. Now, if they don't have wages, then there won't be a 401k match. But our long-term disability, life, and dental, all of those plans we're going to maintain intact for people that are furloughed. Can I go back to Will's question? Yeah. Uh, because I, I really think the question about timing and how to manage uh, disbursements is super critical right now. We have a, this forecasting tool I referenced, which is the first thing that I did with my team. If folks want to download that, and, and uh, Gary, this is something I can forward to you guys as well, but it's on our COVID-19 resource page. You can download it for free. It's got instructions of how to use it. It's the most valuable tool that I've ever used in my career through periods of challenge because it allows you to just kind of maintain control and clarity about how you're managing your disbursements. Well, you the website so that folks who are listening to this on the podcast can, can yep. get the website? It's bsmconsulting.com. Okay. Yep, and they just click on, click on the banner at the top of the homepage, takes you right to the resource page, scroll down, you'll see the 13-week forecasting tool. It's in Excel, got instructions. You don't have to write a formula, do a thing. Just um, download it, and then um, uh, um, I'm more than happy. We can give you access to some further instructions. I did a webinar on it yesterday. I could probably get that for your folks that are on this call. Um, but uh, to Will's point, you've really got to be smart about how you manage your receipts and disbursements. You know, receipts are somewhat of a given in some ways. Uh, you have less control over that except for loan proceeds or capital contributions. It's really managing your disbursements right now. So I went to my landlord, for example, Blake brought that up a moment ago, I believe. I went to my landlord and I just said, hey, here's, here's where we're at. This is the issue. We own one building, but we rent in another building. Uh, so the building that we rent, I told him uh, April 1st, I totally get the space that you're, the place your landlord is in. We, we're paying your rent on April 1st. You don't have to worry about that. I may need some help from you guys though as I get out to May and June, but I'll keep an open line of communication with you. All of your suppliers, they are your partners, right? All your suppliers are strategic partners. You're on the phone with them. You're talking about extended terms. People are doing that with us. People that have balances owed to BSM and every, every client that calls us, we are accommodating them in any way, shape or form. So what you do in the forecasting tool is you just begin to organize all your disbursements and you begin to lay them out in the time frame within which you believe they are due. If someone's given you extended terms, take advantage of the extended terms, you know, be respectful as, as Matt correctly pointed out, but that's how you manage cash flow right now. Cash is king, manage your disbursements in a smart and effective way because you're just trying to bridge to the other side. That's why you use PPP. The minute PPP money comes in, to Matt's point, you just put that into the cash receipts section along with any operating cash that you have coming in or contributions from owners. And it starts with a beginning cash balance and it reconciles. You take beginning cash, you add receipts, you subtract disbursements, you look at your net cash flow for the week, you compare that to the beginning cash balance and you have an ending cash balance and then it just aligns to the top of the next week. And you just constantly update the week that just ended and you keep adjusting your forecast based on facts as known to you. And to Will's point, that's how you manage cash during a period like this. You have to be super smart about how you manage every one of your disbursements. Maria Scott has a, has a question that she's been waiting patiently for an answer. Um, she's got, a, I think, a very large practice. Um, her question is this. Uh, is the loan, the PPP, only for practices with less than 500 employees? I, I think the answer to that is yes. But the second question is, if they lay off staff, if they had laid off staff and are now under the 500 
person uh, employee cap, would they then qualify as a small business? And is the timing of this make a difference being April 1 is tomorrow? Yeah, uh, the timing, uh, I'll be interested in Matt's uh, response to this, but if you've laid people off, then they're no longer on your payroll. So if you have less than 500 people, you have less than 500 people. If you furlough team members, they're on your payroll still. So it's gonna count against you in the under 500. Matt, any thoughts? That's my interpretation too, Bruce. And keep in mind, it's under 500 per business. Okay, so if you have your clinic set up differently than your ASC, differently than your anesthesia group, or your real estate, you know, however you have it set up, um, it's 500 or less per business. And so I think that that's an important consideration too. If you've got it sliced and diced in any way, I would take advantage of those separate filings. There could be some related, there could be some related party issues there. They could issue regs on. <laughs> I worry about that a little bit. There was some mention of that, but uh, I, I would agree on balance. You're going to, you're going you're gonna to play every hand. If somebody comes back and says, no, you couldn't do that. Fine. You'll beg for forgiveness later or do whatever. Yeah, but. And the worst thing we have is a larger loan than we needed. And we've got a low interest loan for 10 years that we, you know, no upfront. With no prepayment penalty. Correct. Hey, Bruce, I'm curious. Um, You've taken a lot of calls uh, over the past few days, I imagine. Are there any, like, frequently asked questions that you're getting asked a lot that we haven't brought up yet? Um, Of the hundreds of questions that we've received, uh, we had 3,000 people on last week's webinar, so you can only imagine the number of questions we got before and after. You can put them into baskets. And... um, 50% 50% of the questions were regarding the CARES Act and PPP, which a week ago, we didn't know that we had a law. So since, uh, since Monday, uh, 80% of those 50% are around loan forgiveness. And I think we've covered that reasonably well. Uh, but, and we've got some resources on the same uh, resource page people can download about loan forgiveness, including the Chamber of Commerce uh, write-up, which is really really good and had a little calculator uh, in there. Uh, The others have been on furloughs versus employees and timing thereof, which I think we're also covering. Uh, So I really think we're covering the main things. I assume we'll aggregate questions we didn't get to today here and we can certainly respond to those as they come in. One question I will, I do want real clarity on because I'm still a little uh, unclear and um, John, uh, you could be at us, uh, ask, is there a disadvantage to waiting until April 1st or later to furlough employees? Do we need to act today? It seems like there may be some need to act today on, on some of those decisions. You know, the only significance of April 1st is what Matt spoke about earlier, which is the implement April 1st is the effective date of the Families First Act. So to the extent that a furlough, um, say, versus a layoff might affect one's obligations under the Families First, uh, to me would be the only thing, Gary, that could affect that. But if you're getting tax credits for monies advanced under Families First, I don't want to say it's a non-issue because it becomes somewhat of a timing issue because you may not get the credits back until you file your next payroll tax return. But that's the only thing I may be missing something, but that's the only thing I can think of 
sitting here today that might affect one's decisions leading into tomorrow. Yeah. But I, I hate I hate the thought of that tail wagging the dog. I really do. I really would prefer to do the right thing for team and regardless of the date and time. Gary, whenever we had uh, uh, Liz and Rob on, uh, we kind of wanted to end with, with, some, with some positives and what's the good to come out of this. And I thought that maybe, Matt, you could kind of send us off coming up on an hour now. So what's, 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 what's good that's going to come out of this? Because there's been a lot of doom and gloom. Yeah, well, so the thing that's remarkable about this time, we've never in our lives had a time where we have a planned introspective opportunity. Okay. And you've heard me talk for years about the, the customer experience, the team experience. We've been talking the last couple of years is the only way you build that is through the team really being in charge of it, team training. The, we, the next eight weeks are ready made for investing in your team, not with just dollars, which we found some ability to support through some federal programs, but in content and training. In eight weeks, there is no COA that shouldn't be a COT. There's no COT that shouldn't be a COMT. There's no reason everybody's EHRs shouldn't be optimized, everybody's websites better, everybody's staff trained on how to do a better Epic or how to, how, all these different things. We've got a huge opportunity to come out of this, to go through the finish line at full acceleration. Um, with what's happening with telehealth, um, we're challenging our doctors to see what a cataract console feels like. I mean, our doctors, you know, Vance only gets seven to 10 minutes per patient. Okay. Uh, imagine if you could just talk to Vance Thompson for 30 minutes in the comfort of your own home and the comfort of his den. I mean, just, just think of what that does for satisfaction, for adoption, for all those different things. And yeah, we've got some issues as to how we bill for that, uh, which might be actually better than we think right now. But I just, just because everybody's home does not mean that we are at bay. So, so this is a time to, to really challenge yourself and your thinking to not, you know, don't, don't just kick a rock down the street, you know, and hang your head. This is an opportunity to accelerate. And, uh, you know, races are won by those who take people on the hill, you know, in a cross country meet. So those are my two cents. Well, I, I don't think there's any better way to close it than that. So, uh, you know, with that, Gary, um, I just want to thank uh, you uh, for, for helping me with this podcast and being my uh, awesome co-host and, and the podfather. And uh, we want to thank Bruce and, and Matt for coming on and, and, and sharing your expertise. And thanks to all of our participants. We had well over 150 people and I'm sure thousands more in streaming and all that afterwards. This will become available uh, on social media in, in the coming days. So thank you all. Bryn Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan and Johnson & Johnson Vision Tier Science, as well as with support from Cala Pharmaceuticals and Avellino Labs. This webcast podcast is intended solely for ophthalmic healthcare professionals and ophthalmic industry representatives. By accessing and listening to this webcast podcast, I acknowledge that Bryn Mawr Communications LLC, here in BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, make no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information presented in this webcast podcast. 
Any information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this webcast podcast are for general information only. Reliance on any information provided by this webcast podcast, BMC's employees, or medical professionals presenting content for this webcast podcast is solely at your own risk and should not be considered as medical or professional advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any of the opinions or information presented or mentioned in this webcast podcast. And information from this webcast podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. No reproduction, rebroadcasting, or editing of this webcast podcast may be made without written permission of BMC. Inquiries should be directed to Adam Kravchek Esquire at adam at bmctoday.com. BMC expressly declaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this webcast podcast or the information, opinions, and consent presented in this webcast podcast.